0: Matthew chapter 23, verses 2 through 4, saying, these are Jesus' words, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, all therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. So verse 4 is very key. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers." So Jesus is calling out the Pharisees, and he's saying, you guys put extra burdens, extra rules upon the Jewish people. Things that were not in the law of God. Extra things. And so think about this again. As the Jews, as the Gentiles are reading, reading Ephesians chapter 1, they're going to think about who they are in Christ now, and the freedom that we have in Christ, the grace that we have in Christ, versus who they were before Slavery in Egypt, the curse under the law, the pressure from the Pharisees. And this one is more general for all of us, but the bondage from the world or from the world system. Again, in Galatians chapter four, it describes this. In verse three, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements, under the system of the world. But verse four is where it gets good, right? But when the fullness Of the time was come. God sent forth his son. Made of a woman. Made under the law. To redeem them that were under the law. That we might receive the adoption of sons. That's what Ephesians 1 is talking about. Comparing these two lives. Comparing these two time periods. The bondage under the world. The bondage under the law. Versus the freedom and the grace that we now have in Jesus Christ. And so as we think about this. And we come to the. The time period of that transition, I've already mentioned it multiple times, transitioning from the law to grace, transitioning from the law to the church, that time period, really become to the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is an incredible book of transition where they're trying to come out of that system and go into the new system, the new covenant under Christ. And so that transition really comes to a climax in Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, there's a discussion taking place in Jerusalem and there's a question being posed. Is it necessary for the Gentiles, for the male Gentiles to be circumcised when they receive Christ as Savior? Because under the law, the Jews had to be circumcised, right? And so now as we come into Acts chapter 15, the question is posed, is that also necessary for the Gentiles? We need to read a verse there. Again, you don't have to turn there. But I can read it and you can listen. Acts chapter 15, verses 10 and 11. This is the response of the council there in Jerusalem to that question. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke, a bondage, upon the neck of the disciples... ...which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Verse 11. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ... We shall be saved, even as they. That was their conclusion. No, it's not necessary for the Gentiles to be circumcised. Why? Because this is a new covenant. This is a new time period. We are now in Christ. And in Christ, there's grace. There's no longer bondage to the old system. There's no longer a yoke around our necks from the old system. Because we are free in Christ. And this really comes to a head in Matthew chapter 11 a passage we know very, very well. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus is telling the people, I have come to give you freedom. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, but this is not a yoke of bondage, right? And learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest. To your souls, spiritual rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is who we have, what we have in Christ. That is who we are in Christ. In Christ, we have grace. There is now freedom in Jesus Christ. In fact, when Jesus came, he came and he served the oppressed Jews, Jesus served discouraged people. Jesus served people that were burdened by sin and by religion. Jesus offered them spiritual rest. In Christ, we have liberty. In Christ, we have grace. In Christ, we have freedom. So again, who were we before salvation in Christ? Well, for the Jews, they might have been thinking about the slavery in Egypt, the curse under the law, the pressure from the Pharisees, the bondage of the world. But now in Christ, there is freedom. Now in Christ there is grace. and In fact, Romans 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? Because we are in Christ as children of God. There's no more slavery in Egypt. There's no more curse under the law. There's no more pressure from the Pharisees. There's no more bondage to other religious systems. In fact, there's no more slavery to our own sin. Yes, we sin, but we're not in bondage to it any longer because we are in Christ. We are no longer described by our past. We are no longer described by our sin. We are no longer described by our failures. But now we are described by the love and the mercy and the grace and best of all, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. We are now in Christ. So that is our identity. So we come to verse 1, and when the people are reading this, they see, we're in Christ. That is incredible. That is overwhelming when compared to who we were before Christ. You see, before Christ, as I mentioned, the Pharisees offered a religious system of pressure. And sadly, that still takes place today, does it not? Many religious systems are putting a, a system of pressure upon us to do in order to be able to find favor with God, in order to be able to gain entrance to heaven. But that is not the plan of God. That's not the way of salvation that Christ offered. I mentioned earlier that you prepared a booklet for us to take to the Ivory Coast. In English, that book is entitled, Done. In French, it would be, Already Done. It's accomplished. Everything that is necessary to go to heaven is Done. There's nothing that we have to do except place our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's an incredible thought to ponder. But sadly, there are still religious systems today that are putting pressure upon people to do, to perform in order to gain favor with God. But it's not the plan of God. We've just seen that. Christ came to remove that yoke of bondage, to give us freedom, to give us spiritual rest. In Christ, we have grace. So let's see our identity in Christ explained a little bit more. Verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus. The word saint in the Bible is another synonym for believers, right? People that are righteous, though. People that are sinless by definition. People that are holy, in fact, in French, it's a little bit difficult because the word for saint and the word for holy is really the same word. And so you just have to use context in order to be able to explain which, which word you're talking about. But that gives us an idea of what this word is really talking about. It's talking about holiness. It's talking about being righteous, blameless, sinless. But surely that's not because of ourselves, right? No, it's not. Because Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 5 said that our righteousness is like filthy, Rags. So we're not righteous in and of ourselves. No, that's impossible. Rather, we are saints because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen. I am now positionally righteous before God so that when God looks at me, he does not see my filthy rags. He doesn't see my sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ because I am in Christ. Amen. This is the doctrine of what that means. We are in Christ. It is an incredible thought to ponder. Now that's our positional righteousness. We recognize that our practical day-to-day righteousness is a matter of sanctification. Walking in the Spirit and living in a way that's pleasing to God. But positionally, when God looks at me, I can go to heaven one day when I die because I'm in Christ. As a believer, I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for me on the cross. The final part of verse 1 says, To the faithful... In Christ Jesus. So from, we we used to be God's enemies, right? But now we have access to God because we are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 5 talks about this. That in Jesus Christ, we have access to the throne room. We have peace with God. But again, it's not because of ourselves. It's because of Jesus Because of his righteousness that has been credited to our accounts uh, at the moment of salvation. Verse 2 talks about these benefits that we have in Christ. We're going to touch on our benefits a little bit more later. But grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. At the moment of salvation for the first time, we now have peace, right? We have peace with God. We have grace, abundant grace. And now this peace from God allows us to have peace with others and to have peace in our own soul for the very first time because of Jesus Christ. It also describes a family relationship here. God our Father. In Christ, I now have a Father, a Heavenly Father. Regardless of our family situation here, regardless of our biological Father on earth, we have a good and a loving Heavenly Father in Heaven. We can take comfort and security in that truth. It continues, and it talks about these spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And so we'll get to that in just a moment uh, as we deal with our inheritance in Jesus Christ. But this is our identity. This is our identity in Jesus Christ. This is how we can define ourselves. We could go around and we could... Define ourselves by our names. We could define ourselves by our family, our personality, our stature, our profession, our job. But as Christians, we are defined by being in Jesus Christ. No matter what takes place on earth, no matter how difficult life is, we're in Christ. And we can take comfort in that truth. We can take security in that truth. Yes, there's difficulties. And yes, we each have differences, like I mentioned those things, personality, job, all those things are different. But we're unified too, because we're in Christ. And therefore, we can come together as a local church, and we can worship together, and we can have fellowship together, and we can hear preaching together, because we are in Christ. This is our identity. You've probably heard this illustration before, but... You probably recognize that the caterpillar and the butterfly are very connected, right? They seem like they're different insects entirely, but they're actually very, very connected. You see, the caterpillar builds a cocoon and starts the process called metamorphosis. That process takes about 10 to 15 days, and after those days are completed, the caterpillar uh, emerges from the cocoon. But he doesn't come out of the cocoon as a caterpillar anymore, right? And now he is a magnificent butterfly. A process of change has taken place. That process is metamorphosis, that's the scientific term for it, I guess, to be changed entirely and completely. Now that would be ridiculous, right, if the butterfly went back to the same ...leaves in those same logs instead of just crawling along the logs and acting like a caterpillar. That's not the life of a butterfly. The butterfly now has new capabilities, new benefits for its new life, right? So therefore it flies everywhere and makes everyone look at how beautiful it is. It's an incredible concept to think about how this caterpillar has changed and become an entirely new creature... And now there are new benefits and capabilities with this new insect, the butterfly. I think sadly, we sometimes want to go back to our old life, though. You see, we as Christians have had a metamorphosis, a change. Second Corinthians 5:17 says that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That is our new life in Christ. But sadly, sometimes we still go back to the old. We still, lived on, we still live under bondage. Maybe it's our sin. Maybe it's a religious system. Maybe it's the world's system pulling us down. That's not who we are in Christ. We are no longer defined by our past and our failures. We are new creatures in Jesus Christ. And we should live like it. We should no longer go back to who we were before Christ. Because now We are in Christ. So we've dealt with our identity in Christ. And secondly and finally, there's only two points of the message. Our inheritance in Christ. This is what we have in Jesus Christ. First of all, we see in verse 3 that those who are in Jesus Christ are seated in the heavenly places. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, In Christ. Chapter 2 and verse 6 deals with this as well and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. As part of our inheritance in Christ, this is our new position. We all now have an eternal home in heaven as believers. We now have access to the throne room, to God. We now have hope for the future, the hope of heaven because of Jesus Christ. Secondly, as we think about our inheritance, those that are in Christ are chosen to be holy. We dealt with this already a little bit, but verse 4 says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be, what's the next word? Holy. Holy and without blame before him in love. This is what we've been called to do, to be holy. We're not given the grace of God to live how we want to live. We're not given that freedom to just go off and live in any fashion that we please. Rather, the grace of God has been given to us to live in a way that is pleasing to God. In fact, that phrase is mentioned to the praise of the glory of his grace. Verse 6 mentions that. The praise of the glory of his grace. So he gave us the grace. And now we use that grace, that ability to live in a way that is pleasing to him. To give glory back to the one who gave us grace. It would be ridiculous to take the grace of God and live in a way that's pleasing to ourselves. No, we take the grace of God and we live in a way that's pleasing to the one who gave us the grace. Therefore, we can now live in a way that gives glory back to God. This is called the process of sanctification. I'm sure it's simple to understand, but if we think about justification. Justification is the moment of salvation. For we were declared righteous before God so that when God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ and no longer my sin, no longer my filthy rags. But from the day of salvation until the day of my death, this process is started called sanctification, right? And this process is a process to become more and more and more like Jesus Christ. And then at the moment of my death... I see Christ face to face. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And this process here is really another instantaneous process called glorification. Justification, declared righteous before God, positionally righteous. Sanctification is the process of just walking with God, reading the Bible, growing in our daily walk with God. And glorification is when we're like Christ, when we see him in heaven. That's the process that we're dealing with here. So when I say sanctification, I'm dealing with this lifelong process. But thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. He came at the moment of salvation, at justification. And now he lives within us. And Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It was begun at the moment of salvation, and it will be performed until the day of Jesus Christ. That's the process of sanctification. The Holy Spirit is living within us, enabling us to live in a manner that is holy, to live in a manner that is pleasing to God, to the one who gave us grace. It's also necessary, though, for us to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We can look at other passages for the sake of time. We'll just... Mention these thoughts briefly. The process of sanctification is a process of cooperation. I can't just grow by myself. I need the Holy Spirit to help me grow. We got to work together. He's going to do his part. We've, we just saw that promise in Philippians 1:6. He will perform it. But I've got to read the Bible. I've got to go to church. I've got to take steps of, of confession. Every time that I, I sin against God, I need to confess that. And when we do, he'll forgive us and we can continue to grow and have more and more fellowship. But this is the growth and the process of sanctification. For believers, we have the tools at our disposal to become more like Christ. We have the word of God. We have the spirit of God. We have the church. We have these opportunities and these tools at our disposal to grow and to become more like Jesus Christ. We've got to do our part. And when we do that, The Holy Spirit has promised that he will do his part. So those that are in Christ, part of our inheritance is that we have been chosen for a purpose. A purpose to be set apart, to be sanctified, to be holy. And again, the grace that we've been given from God enables us to live holy. So that we can give praise and glory back to Christ. Another concept of our inheritance. Thirdly, those who are in Christ are adopted as children. We are adopted as children. Verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. We are adopted. So prior to salvation, we were orphans, but now we are children of God. We were enemies of God, but now we're sons of God. We're children of God. What an incredible concept. Again, regardless of our situation, of our family situation here on earth, regardless of our biological family, we have a Father in heaven who loves us. We are accepted in God. We are adopted as children. That leads us really to the next concept of our inheritance. Those who are in Christ are accepted in the Beloved. Well, who's the Beloved? It's Christ, Christ. And as children of God, we're in Christ, and we're accepted by him. There are several verses that, uh, parallel passages that can confirm that this is indeed Jesus here. But it's here in verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Accepted in Jesus Christ. So we are in Christ, and Christ is in God. And so we are eternally secure in the Father. As a man, Jesus understands us. He understands what it's like to walk on this earth, to face temptations, yet with victory, to face difficulties. And as God, Jesus can care for us and give us the comfort that we need every day. There's a comforting passage in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 that says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Well, how can he give us that care? Because he knows us. He understands us. He knows what it's like to walk on this earth and to face the difficulties that we face. But we are accepted in Christ. We are loved. We are eternally secure in Christ. And therefore, we can have confidence in the middle of difficult situations to cast our care upon the all-caring one. And he will care for us. He will give us comfort. He will give us security. Another concept of our inheritance in Christ, this is quite obvious, but those in Christ are saved. Those in Christ are saved. Verse 7 says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Those four words are very powerful. Riches of his grace. That really summarizes chapter 1, does it not? The riches of his grace, all of these things at our disposal as Christians. Those in Christ are saved. We are redeemed. We are justified. We are forgiven. Also, those in Christ have the wisdom of God at our disposal. Verses 8 and 9, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Because we have the wisdom of God we now can understand that God's plan is to sanctify us. We can also understand that our future is to be glorified. And this wisdom is available to us through the Bible, through fellowship with Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit illuminating our minds as we read the Bible. This wisdom of God is available to us as part of our inheritance because we are in Christ. And then we think about how do we know for sure that this is our inheritance. What's the guarantee? Well, thankfully, there's a down payment that we've been given. Those who are in Christ are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Verses 13 and 14, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Because we are in Christ, we now have this inheritance in Christ, And now we have a promise, a down payment, that this will be ours eternally. He's the Holy Spirit of promise. He's been given to us, and it's explained further in verse 14, which is the earnest or the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Because we are in Christ, we received the Holy Spirit. In fact, that took place at the moment of salvation. But now the Holy Spirit is really our down payment to guarantee that we can never lose our salvation. As unified and as eternally unified as the Trinity is, we can so we can be that sure that we will never lose the Holy Spirit. We will never, ever lose our salvation. We are saved eternally because we have been given the Holy Spirit of promise. This is our Eternal inheritance, because we are in Jesus Christ. Another verse in Ephesians is Ephesians four, verse thirty. He gives a practical application here: Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. We've been sealed eternally, guaranteeing our salvation. And then practically, Paul is just saying, so don't grieve the Holy Spirit, because He is not going anywhere. He cannot leave you. He will be with you forever. So live in a way that is pleasing to the Holy Spirit, that is pleasing to God. I'm sure you're familiar with the gold rush, right? The gold rush took place in California and even the the western coast of Canada around 1850. In fact, 300,000 people came from all over the world to the west coast of Canada and of the USA to search for gold. There was a massive rush For gold, right? That's why it's called the gold rush. It makes sense, doesn't it? And so there was a couple of people that I want to tell you a story about, though. Uh, First of all, his name was Darby. Darby and his uncle came to California to search for gold. And when Darby came to California, they, they initially found quite a bit of gold. And they were excited. So they bought some equipment, and they started digging deeper and more efficiently. And then all of a sudden, their work stopped. They couldn't find any more gold. They couldn't tell what was the problem, so they would dig here and dig here and try to search for gold as best as they could, but the work had just stopped. It seemed like the gold had vanished. So they were discouraged. They sold their equipment. They even sold the property, and they went back east to their house. Well, then someone else bought that piece of property, and they decided to investigate the property to check, see if there's possibly more gold that Darby just missed. And as they were starting to investigate the property, they found that Darby had literally stopped searching for gold three feet from where the rest of the gold was. If he had just dug three more feet, he would have found the rest of the gold. But he stopped just a little too soon. He did not realize that his property had value. He didn't realize, literally, the gold mine that was on his property. And so he sold it, and he gave it up, and he went back east. Well, those new owners decided to start digging in that property and they discovered so much gold to the point that they became millionaires. That was at Darby's fingertips. He could have been a millionaire had he just dug three more feet, but he stopped and he gave it all up. Darby did not understand the value of the property that he owned, right? But I think far too often as Christians, we're the same way. Okay, we're saved, we love Christ. We go to church. We even read our Bible sometimes. But we don't understand the value of what we have in Jesus Christ. We don't understand truly who we were before Christ. and So therefore, we don't understand the seriousness and the power of what we are now in Christ. We've never taken time to consider that, much less consider the inheritance and the benefits that we have in Jesus Christ But now in Jesus Christ, we're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves to the religious systems urging us to do more and more and more. Rather, in Christ, it's done. All is accomplished. It's already done. There's nothing left for us to do to receive eternal life except for exercise faith in what Christ has already done. But in Christ now, we have so many benefits All of these benefits are at our disposal. But sadly, I think too many of us, including myself sometimes, are like Darby. We don't understand what we have in Jesus Christ. We go through the motions. We just live our lives. We're gonna get to the end of our lives living very simply, living with such a simple mindset because we don't understand what we truly have in Jesus Christ. So I wanna urge us today Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and look at the depth of who we are in Christ and of what we have in Jesus Christ. Let's start living this out every single day so that we can live to the praise of the glory of his grace. He's given us his grace not just for salvation, but for sanctification for every single day. So let's use that grace to live in a way that is pleasing to Christ But perhaps you might be here this morning and you've never come to Christ for salvation. So you're not in Christ. But in fact, maybe you're you're still under some bondage of sin. Maybe you're still under the bondage of a religious system that's telling you to do more. I want to encourage you today to come to Christ. Because in Christ, there is hope. In Christ, there is peace. In Christ, there is freedom and liberty We can be free from our past. We can be free from our failures. We can be free from our sin. We can be free from the religious systems that have weighed us down. In Christ, we have grace. In Christ, we have freedom from all of that. Much, much more than that, though. If you're here today and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I urge you to come to Him today in faith, recognizing that you are a sinner and that without Him, we would spend eternity in hell as the penalty for our sin. But because of Christ's finished work on the cross for us, he died in our place. And because of that, we can have faith in what God, what Christ has done for us, repent of our sin, and come to him today. We can have new life in Christ today. If you've never done that before, you can do that today. But if you have, If you've already made that decision to receive Christ as Savior. If you are a believer, I urge you to find your security in Jesus Christ. Perhaps there's some type of bondage weighing you down. Maybe some of the things I mentioned in the introduction. Maybe something entirely different. Some type of bondage that's weighing you down. Remember who you are in Christ. Take comfort in that. Find security in who you are in Christ. And then also as believers, remember that we have been saved for a purpose. So let's follow the plan of God for our lives, that plan of sanctification, right? We've been saved for the purpose of being holy. So let's get in the Word. Let's stay faithful to church. Stay faithful in fellowship. Let's take deliberate steps to confess any known sin in our lives so that we can be in fellowship with God once again. That's the process of sanctification. Daily, becoming a little bit more like Jesus Christ by letting the Word of God and the Spirit of God work through us. So if you're a believer today, maybe use this reminder to take the next step in your walk with God. To take sanctification a little more seriously. To take this depth of the new life in Christ a little bit deeper. So that we can give praise back to the one who gave us grace. I want to encourage you about the book of Ephesians though. We've dealt with a lot of doctrine today. I recognize that. It's a, it's a deep book. But what's exciting is that chapters 1, 2, and 3 are packed with doctrine. And then there's a huge transition in chapter 4. In chapter 4 in verse 1 it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the, la- of the Lord, beseech you, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And so chapter 4 in verse 1 marks the transition where he's saying, here is all the doctrine of our new life in Christ. Now walk worthy of that. Now live in a way that's pleasing to God. So then we go to chapters 4, 5, and 6, and there is a ton of application there for us for every day. How to behave at work, how to behave in the home, how to behave in the church, it's all there, chapters 4, 5, and 6, building upon that doctrine. I say all that to say this, I recognize this was deep this morning, I get that, but I want to encourage you, keep reading the book of Ephesians on your own. Maybe this week you can take one chapter a day, there's six chapters, and you can finish the book of Ephesians And you can see what I'm talking about, how this doctrine gives us the foundation for application. See, doctrine is is not boring. It actually gives us a foundation for how we can live. So perhaps you could take the book of Ephesians this week and you can draw application from it so that we can live in a way that is pleasing to God. Remember, he's the one that's given us grace in this new life in Christ. So now let's live in a way that gives him the glory that he so deserves. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to preach your word this morning. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be able to walk with you, to stay close to you. Lord, we need you. We need your help every single day to to, to live out our new life in Jesus Christ. To live in cooperation with the Holy Spirit of God so that we can be sanctified so that we can become more like Christ. Lord, help us to remember who we are in Christ, to remember this new life in Christ, and to live it out to the fullest every single day. In Jesus' name, amen.